0: Have I lost sound or are you you talking or? No, we're not talking. We're just waiting. That's fine.
1: (laughs) We cannot put our health in the hands of the food industrial complex. We just can't. Why is everyone wearing like a hoodie and oversized clothes and everyone looks like a hobo? Models that had big rolls and excessive fat were not hired for lingerie or activewear or bathing suits. Like, it just, that was just not acceptable. I even see videos
2: of women who were skinny and then gained weight. And they're like, I'm happier now. And I'm like,
1: you don't look happier. We got to talk about it. We got to, like, confront what is so glaring us in the face, the elephant literally in the room. My little brain was like, oh, I'm not allowed to have sugar. Well, I'm going to go eat sugar. My nickname as a kid was Fatso. mother had me in Weight Watchers at age five. No one can convince me that being obese is healthy. Diabetes type two, cardiovascular disease, cancer to some extent, are all preventable diseases. Without our health, we've got nothing.
0: Hi folks and on today's podcast I'm joined by Helene and Penelope who are from Step It Up uh, which is a weight loss coaching company uh, who focus on real food, uh, real talk and real people. Uh, So there we go Helene and Penelope uh, what is real food and what is real people?
1: You want to start Penelope?
2: Well, I would say real food is food that's not processed or genetically modified, food that probably grows in your garden that you can easily find that's probably not in a box or in a plastic bag.
1: Right. I mean, real food is the food that you find usually at the periphery of a grocery store or a supermarket, um, not the stuff that you find in boxes. Uh, We call it like food-shaped objects, even though it's like posiness food. Uh, There's a lot of chemicals and it denatures it so far away from its its natural form um, that we don't really consider real food
2: and real people we mean people who aren't going to tell you that being fat is okay not people who are going to encourage you to eat junk food people who actually want to help you lose weight and be the healthiest version of yourself and create a great mindset around about your body and health
1: yeah real people also means like actually having honest conversations about mm-hmm. what's going on in a loving way but also that we actually are real people a lot of the coaching companies or weight loss companies out there are automated they're scaled, um, and you don't really interact with real people. Um, so we're real people with real hearts who really care. Yeah. Okay,
0: I mean, the the most perceptive uh, listeners and viewers will will notice that you have uh, American accents. Where is it? Where is it? You're from?
1: <laughs> well, we're in the Los Angeles area. That's mm-hmm. where we live right now. But we're really from the world. We uh, Penelope was born in Europe. Um, we lived on the East Coast for a bit, mm-hmm. but we're yeah, we're definitely Americans. We hold American okay. passports. Uh well,
0: we're recording on uh Friday the 24th of November so uh happy thanksgiving whatever that is Aww, for yesterday. Thank you. Um thank you. there's um I I mean, that is uh, something that I think is synonymous with uh, people sitting down and eating. Um Yes. Uh, with their with their turkey and seven so and so forth and whatever I may have watched people eating on Friends at some point twenty years ago, but um, it, I mean, is that an example of real food? Um, you know, sitting down to an array of vegetables and 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 such like.
1: I mean, around our table, we have a hundred percent real food. That's all homemade. Everything, 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 everything. We didn't grow mm-hmm. it in our garden, but some of it we did some of it. We did grow in our garden, but yeah. So that's about as real as it gets for us, at least. But you know, there are a lot of folks out there who you know just don't just eat from packages you know they just don't know any better and they're they're stuck in kind of an addictive cycle uh, yeah. because once you get on those chemicals your brain shifts your gut gut microbiome shifts and you're just in this this kind of wicked loop that keeps you in an addictive state of mind mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. you you mentioned uh you mentioned going to the, the the supermarket. um you know when you go into a supermarket, generally speaking the the fresh produce um you know the stuff that you need to make a salad, or or so on and so forth. Usually is at the front, unless it's Christmas time and you know you're bombarded with uh, with with tinsel and other bits and pieces. Usually the first thing you go to is the fresh stuff. But also most people just seem to walk straight past it. Um, is that is that kind of supermarkets? Um, you know, trying their best um, to to get people to to eat that stuff, or is that just a like a marketing tool before they go off and uh, and buy a ready meal?
1: I think it's a marketing tool, to be honest, Uh, but I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong because it is very inviting to see fresh, green, local foods, Um, I think it's, you know, exciting and inviting. Uh, Most people don't know really how to cook and it's not their fault. Their parents probably didn't have time or didn't know how to teach them how to cook. I mean, we're lucky Ted. you and I, our parents might've taught us, which they did to the best of their ability. Your Mm -hmm. doctor certainly isn't going to teach you. He doesn't have time, it's not his job. He's also not educated to do so. And in schools today, there certainly isn't home economics anymore. So uh, you're not going to learn it at school. So it's really up to us to empower ourselves to learn what to do with those fruits and vegetables. And I think a lot of people, People, from my experience, because I've helped thousands of people to lose weight. I have a bachelor's and a master's degree in nutrition, and they just feel intimidated Mm -hmm. when they're in that. It's just like too many options. There's too much like, and they're going to buy it and then it's going to go bad. And then they feel guilty. And then whatever they make doesn't taste as good as they want it to. So they end up going to the packaged food anyway, because the packages have the flavors at least somewhat, you know, closer to what they're looking for. So it's a bit of a, a loop,
0: over in the states um it seems more than anywhere there seems to be an issue with uh sugar and cornstarch tell, yeah. tell me about that for for those who are not in the usa and don't have everything absolutely uh with with ladle fulls of uh, this stuff uh what, what's that about
2: Literally don't come to the US because you will literally gain weight (laughs) because everything that's in America has corn syrup or sugar as the first ingredient. I remember when I was little, my mom, you would always tell me, you know, sweetie, the first three ingredients are sugar. You can't buy it. Like it's not going to be good for you. And I'm like, and I remember looking at all the things I wanted when I was little and I couldn't buy it any anything because it all had sugar in it. You were so mad at me. You would like stomp your feet and you'd be like, oh mom (laughs) because i was like everything looks so great and it all had sugar in it and i always i used to ask myself why but now i know why yeah it's because the food industry makes so much more money off of these products because sugar is more addictive than cocaine and all the products that have sugar in it are addictive so more people are going to constantly reach for it which is why you see the obesity spikes
1: right and i think part of our mission and, and ted you might be into this too and I don't think the UK is all that different, to be honest. You can still get a lot of artificial foods, but I, I wish it wasn't like this wicked scheme to keep us disempowered and addicted. But you know, we we cannot put our hands, sorry, we cannot put our health in the hands of the food industrial complex. We just can't. And I don't think it's much different in Europe or the UK. I mean, we we lived, her dad and I lived in Europe for 10 years. He still is there. He still is there. And the food industrial complex is really interested in their bottom line, as are the supermarkets, restaurants, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we just have to take it into our own hands, our health, that is. And I believe that it really starts in the kitchen.
0: I mean, there's quite a few things to, to unpack from what you were saying earlier. Uh, one thing that that stood out was the fact that you were saying that doctors are not qualified to to, to be given advice about what to eat, uh, which for a lot of people would would think well that that sounds pretty counterintuitive, uh, but you're saying there's a big difference between nutrition or nutritional knowledge and how to cook and so on and so forth. And actually, um, you know, being a being a doctor, a physician, or a GP, um, who is perhaps dealing with the aftermath.
1: Correct. Yeah, in the United States, from my understanding, the medical doctors receive a a semester worth of nutrition out of the eight years of education and their residents. So that it, nutritional science, nutritional psychology, um, nutritional ways of, of healing are not integrated into the medical doctor, um, you know, education. I don't know how it is in the UK. I know that uh, you may have more your doctors uh, because your government is reliant on people being healthy. So there may be more nutritional education included, uh, you know, in your system of health because of the the sophistication of it in, in that mm-hmm. sense and the liability that the government holds. Um, but, but the doctors just don't, you know, it's just not part of their education here in the States. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. When I was obese and I went to the doctor, they would, they were like, Oh yeah, you should eat grains. You know, you should eat flour, you know, you should eat rice. And I'm like, okay, I'm 300 pounds. And you're telling me to eat flour and rice. And that's going to help me lose weight. Cause that's what I was eating to get fat. So it's like very counterintuitive. They really don't know what they're talking about. And, you know, when I eat grains and even flour, I get really sick. And like, I feel horrible. So that's totally like counterintuitive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think think what a a lot of people have said, uh, certainly they've said it in the past and you just say, all you need is a nice balanced, uh, balanced diet. And really the advice goes no further than that. Um, So, you know, what's a balanced diet? I'll have a burger, but I'll have salad to go with it. Well, is that balanced? Well, yeah, it's balanced, but it's not healthy. Just because you can balance it doesn't mean that you should be eating it. Um, and and going back to the the thing with the with the doctors. Um, I mean, certainly over here we're we're lucky if we go and see a GP, and if we see a GP, we've got ten minutes. They only want it to be five minutes because right. you know they they've got people uh, they've got people wait in the waiting room. Um, it's um, it, it's not ideal. Okay, um, when it comes to healthcare you know, even the people that regard NHS healthcare to be free. Um, well, if it's free, you get what you pay for. Uh, <laughs> of, co- of course, it's not free because we're still paying through our taxes, but um, yeah. we, it is overstretched. It is overstretched. It's overburdened. And there isn't that opportunity for for doctors to sit down with their patients and say, okay, you might be reasonably healthy, but let's let's see if we can get you on an even better track for the for the longer term so questions of diet questions of weight don't really crop up unless somebody's in a position where they they need or very likely to need surgery or they're suffering with with diabetes and they're 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 asked very kindly to perhaps make some possible changes to their diet um that that's really the only intervention uh, that we might get from from doctors over here, and I think uh, to some degree, and this brings me on to something else that we're, I'm sure we'll talk about is a reluctance, even from medical professionals, um, to actually hit the issue head on, uh, perhaps afraid of, of of speaking to somebody who's right in front of them and saying you need to lose weight. Um, I mean, is that something that you you experience uh, in the states?
1: Absolutely, we experienced it when we went to the doctor, and I was hoping the doctor could could speak to Penelope and and help me to help her because her psychotherapist wasn't willing to do it. She told me not to talk about it. I'm like, well, are you going to talk about? it? She's like, no, no, it makes the problem worse. I'm like, well, who we got to talk about it? We got to like confront what is so glaring us in the face, the elephant literally in the room, you know, and 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 get this girl some some wisdom and some. Mm. Inti- I mean, you know, she wasn't she wasn't taking it from me, so we did. Her doctor you know, wasn't really willing to talk about it. it was like, like tiptoeing around it. Um, and, and I think the issue is that there's a lot of debate about what is the right diet. Um, and what's so ironic is that we know that all of these diseases are preventable. Diabetes type two, cardiovascular disease, cancer to some extent are all preventable diseases. Cardiometabolic diseases that we can prevent through proper nutrition and lifestyle. And lifestyle sciences, it's just like it's not like mod it's not like I'm just saying it, right? I mean, it's just peer-reviewed research, thousands of studies by this point. Um, and the psychology behind it is just it's quite complex. Um, and so yes, we find that there's some hesitation, and mostly because they just can't get into it.
2: Well, yeah. And also you have like the whole body positivity movement, and all the obese women will go to the doctor now and be like, I have a sty in my eye, and they complain that the doctor says, Oh, you should lose weight. And they're mad that that's why that's the, what the doctor is pointing at. But yep. literally, like you just said, all the problems can be prevented if you just weren't obese. And so, not uh, all, but many. Yeah. Most. And a lot of the body positivity movement complains about problems. And they always say, oh, but it's not because I'm fat, but
1: it really is. Well, it definitely helps a lot. I have a friend <laughs> who got a breast reduction and she's like, I wish I had just lost 20 pounds because I mm-hmm. didn't need the breast reduction. I just needed to lose some weight. And I just, it's also hard. I don't want to, I don't want to like pretend like it's easy to have a balanced diet. I mean, there's, there's some issues that we need to look at that, that cause the weight gain in the first place. And they tend to be emotional. Yeah. And so we got to like, you know, look under the hood. Um, provide some support and accountability, also some tough love, and uh, you know, and get it on track. Yeah. Also, you notice
2: like online, there's a lot of dietitians and like just a lot of like rather thin people actually who will promote balanced diets, like you're talking about, Ted. And they're saying, oh, you can eat a cheeseburger and then have a side salad, and that's fine, or you can have a few glasses of wine, and you'll be good. Just make sure you have water after or a salad with it. Mm-hmm. And it's like that's still not good for you. That's still leading you down a bad path. And I always. I always relate it to like telling a cocaine addict they can have like a little bit of cocaine every day. It's like, you would never say that to someone. So why would you say that about
1: food? Yeah. Well, which goes back to your conversation about sugar because sugar really does shift your biology, your neurobiology into the addictive brain. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty dangerous when you think about all the sugar, like you were discussing about the United States, everything's got corn syrup in it. Um, there's a presidential candidate that said the first thing he would do if elected would be to eliminate corn syrup from the the American culture, which is an interesting concept. He thinks mm-hmm. it's going to solve our obesity issue, and I uh, thought that was really interesting because he he's he knows that it's we can prove it. And we might be able to get that out of, uh, I don't know if that's, I agree with that per se, but I just think it's an interesting perspective. Mm. Um, and knowing that it addicts, that it shifts you into the addictive brain. Um, it's a great opportunity for people to reflect on their lives and look at the biscuits and the cookies and the cakes and the things that they're eating and maybe decide, Hey, I'm going to leave this away off, off my table for three or four days. And I'm going to see how I feel. And Mm. you'll be shocked aches and pains and headaches and grumpiness and fatigue and you know but like once you're on the other side of that though wow you're free Mm. yeah and you know what's wild about that is like all the people
2: say you know oh it's okay it's okay to eat sugar it's fine they like glorify it but at the same time they don't realize all the industries that benefit from them eating sugar, you know, like when they eat sugar, they gain weight. When they gain weight, they have to go to the doctor. So it benefits the pharmaceutical industry. It benefits the therapy industry. It benefits the food industrial complex. But it doesn't benefit the person consuming all of that, right? And I don't know why, like nobody's looking at. That. It tastes good. That's why. But well, why aren't they... <laughs> <laughs> it's so sweet? It, it just it doesn't even, <laughs> anyone...
0: it doesn't necessarily taste that good. I mean, the thing is, one of the, one of the things that um. You know, happened quite quite a, a while ago. Was there was a massive push against um, against fat um, and against right. uh, cholesterol, and people people were scared of eating meat, people were scared of eating uh, eggs uh, and milk and, and so on and so forth, uh, and they were steered towards uh, other other foods, which you you could say some of those being fake foods um that were just heavily heavily laden with sugar to make up for the fact that the taste wasn't there because the fat wasn't there or the other right. the other elements weren't there uh yeah. and i i think that was a massive disservice to to people um because they've just they've just gained weight because it just doesn't operate in the same way uh as as the food that they were eating before
1: Yeah. I mean, cancer rates rose, uh, cardiovascular disease, uh, you know, rates rose. We had, you know, a lot of issues uh, that resulted from that fad. And now we've swung in the complete other direction where it's like pro-fat carbs are the demon. Don't eat vegetables. They're bad for you. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we're not a fan of dieting at all. That's part of our program. We just want to eat real food. Yeah. I and mean, we want to be honest, you know, real talk. No sugar and no flour. Just yeah. get it off the table. Well, just like going against the nature of nature, it's just not gonna work, period. Mm-hmm. I, I mean I can, I've tried enough times to hack the system. It just doesn't work. Me too, me
0: too. <laughs> <laughs> just um just taking it back now, um, just a little bit of background. Uh and I know you, you, you talk about this a lot, Penelope. This whole journey started uh, with you and your uh with your weight. Just just can you take us back to Uh, how it was and and how how it how it got that way
2: yeah so honestly really I ever since I was little I would say I was a little bit chubby and it was always because so it started with my mom right my mom's this amazing beautiful healthy happy woman and she's always been that way and I was raised with just her so it was just me and my mom growing up and she always like we had no sugar in a house no flour looking back I'm so glad we didn't but at the time my little brain was like, oh, I'm not allowed to have sugar. Well, I'm going to go eat sugar. Oh, I'm not allowed to have pizza. Well, I'm going to go to my friend's house and eat all her pizza. Oh, I'm not allowed to have goldfish. I'm going to go to her house and eat all the goldfish. And it's quite interesting because what I would do, even at like six years old, I would go to other people's houses and eat mass amounts of food. So for a six-year-old, eating four slices of pizza is very abnormal, but that's what I would do. Or I'd eat like a huge thing of goldfish and slowly but surely it really added up and Once I reached the age of, I believe it was like 12, we moved to California and politics were different. People were different. And I had a 7-Eleven at the bottom of my hill and I was really angry at my mom and I was angry at the world because I didn't fit in. And I just, I was always the odd one out and I was always chubby too. So I really just hated myself all around. And I just finally had the freedom to go to 7-Eleven every day and eat junk food. And I had the freedom to be able to order food in all the time. So I would stuff, you know, pizza and donuts and hide them from my mom. And I would, you know, then vomit afterwards and hide all trash under my bed and outside trash cans and chests outside. I would walk from my house to 7-Eleven, get the food, hide it. I'd steal money from her to get the food. I would order on DoorDash secretly and meet them outside. Like the food addiction was so real. And the body positivity movement was Always on my phone on TikTok on Instagram, showing me that it was okay to be obese. It was okay to be plus size. It was beautiful to be plus size. The models were in, you know, making me feel like I could be fat and beautiful too. I could be big and beautiful. My friends and doctors and therapists didn't want to talk about it, and they were almost encouraging me to try the new foods and try the new, you know, sugar things I'd never had in my life before, and go to Jack in the Box, and it caused me to gain hundred and like forty pounds. And I was so sick and miserable every day. I never left my house. I never left my room. I never wore any clothing other than sweatpants and hoodies. Mm -hmm. I literally couldn't function as a human in society. I had no friends. I was afraid to go to the store. I was afraid to even go outside and see people. And I was depressed and I was anxious. And there were times where I was doing horrible things to my body, like self-harm and pot, like just terrible things that I would never wish on other people. And... It wasn't until I got my blood drawn one day and I saw that my triglycerides were high and that I was at risk to get heart disease and diabetes and really scary diseases at only 15 years old. And that was the day I decided, like, I can't keep living this way because I'm going to die and I don't want to die. And I was really fearful. So my first step in my health journey was to just get Chipotle every week. And slowly order salads to burritos and then I just got salad no rice like it was just like little steps every week and it finally worked but I also tried every diet every diet out there and it didn't work I tried injections I tried pills I tried all the diets you name it I did it keto weight watchers and none of it worked I always gained the weight back
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not wanting to take any agency from yourself but Helene when when this was when this was happening um, I mean, you, you can't tell if somebody's hiding food, but there's one thing you can't hide, and, that, and that's your appearance. Um, what, what, what? How did you feel about what, what was happening? And, and you know, did, did you notice, or was it so gradual um, that you weren't really, really a part of it?
1: Well, I absolutely noticed, and for all you moms out there, uh, I really can relate to what you're going through, because it's not the thing that you want to talk about with your peers, because it's so, um, it's so, what's the right word? It's so, it's almost like, Pedelba, you said to me, you're like, mom, when you look at me, I see that you're ashamed of me, and I was, and I said to her, no, no, that's not true, and she said, but it is, and she was right. It is it is such a deep failure uh, for a mom, especially a mom who's focused on health, to have a daughter who you know was three hundred pounds and counting, and it was it was traumatic, and I felt extremely helpless, and I felt like I was enabling her, and there was nowhere I could turn. I didn't feel at least we had therapists, we had groups, we had the doctor, we had friends, but. It wasn't like there was anyone who was really willing to create a solution that was going to to work. And the, everybody, like I said it before, everybody was kind of like tiptoeing around it. And, you know, I would go into her room and I'd, you know, rip the curtains open and scream I'd scream at her like, me. get out of bed. You know, we, we didn't have meals together. She wouldn't eat my food. Um, I noticed that she was charging on my credit card. I noticed money was missing. And it's like how do I feed my daughter when she won't accept the food I want to feed her? How do I uh, you know, turn this ship around? And I was like, well, at some point I was like, I just need to send her to a therapeutic boarding school because I'm out of options because, and I felt like it was so completely not manageable. And what's so, so ironic about this was that I grew up in a household where my mother had me in Weight Watchers at age five That was my first meeting. And my nickname as a kid was Fatso. And my mom was in Overeaters Anonymous. So the 12-step program was on our kitchen table. And so for me as a very young child, I got to witness my mother and her myriad of health problems and her weight gain and loss. So I I experienced very young, you know, the, the, what it is to, to be a part of a Food compulsive, eating disordered household. And I was determined to break the chain, even though I was always overweight. I was one of the original plus size models in the 1990s. I, you know, really embraced my big, beautiful body. Um, and it wasn't until after I gave birth to Penelope 18 years ago that I lost a lot of the weight, just 18 years ago and i thought i had dodged the bullet because i got a bachelor's and a master's degree in nutrition i was helping you know thousands of people to lose weight get healthy and to have her be 300 pounds was just so mind blowing cuz i felt like i had done everything right and for this to turn around was just like miraculous and then we realized we've got to do our best to help mothers and daughters to end this cycle, this chain, this destructive, divisive chain,
0: is the the, the cycle, the chain. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people make excuses uh, for for the lifestyles and for the results of those. Um, but is there anything to say that from a from a genetic point of view, some people are more more likely to to gain weight uh i mean obviously people are more likely to gain height or um gain big feet or small feet or and all sorts of different things but is is weight something that you could ascribe to being um down to genetics or or is that just excuses
1: real talk yeah (laughs) Regardless of your genes, there's a thing called epigenetics, which means that your genes are not fixed. They do change. Uh, so you can modify your gene expression. I do believe there are different body types that are based on the genes you're born with. And, you know, sometimes Penelope and I have to talk about it. We're like, you know, how can that person eat French fries and hamburgers and look like that? That doesn't mean they're healthy, but they're thin, Right. That person might be on the road to diabetes or heart disease, you know, but, you know, because they can't see it on the outside. Yeah. Right. So no. So there is some viability in the um, the DNA of your body type, how you burn or you don't burn if you're a slow burner or you're a fast burner. Um, But a lot of that's also set in childhood, like if you're doing a lot of sports, if you're you know how you set your genes up for success or if you're on a junk food diet. Um, and you're raised by an addict, um, you know, so, so you're, you're set up also, you know, from zero to seven in a certain way. Were you breastfed? Were you not breastfed? Were you a C-section baby? Like there's so much to the equation, that mm-hmm. um, it's not, it's not for me, it's not as simple as your genes. Yeah. I, I have to really watch it, but I know that I had that predisposition. Is it because of the way I was raised or is it because of my genes? Probably a combination of both, but we definitely have to eat a certain way. And we, it's our job, I think in our lifetimes to know our bodies and the language of our bodies and how we can do our best to take care of this body that serves us 24 seven, because without our health, we've got nothing. You can't work, you can't have fun. You can't enjoy, you can't, you know, be a good dad. You can't, you just, it just does nothing works about life without your health. There's nothing more important.
2: Yeah. And a lot of people make excuses. They're like, Oh, I can't lose weight. It's not possible. No, for me. Wrong. I have, a, I have wrong. a disease that makes me not able to lose weight. And I'm like, that's not a thing. No, real
1: talk folks. Like it's possible, but you might have to
2: figure some things out.
1: And yeah, you might have to work 10 times harder.
2: And that's where the laziness comes in and the unwillingness and the lack of commitment and consistency comes in. And that's when you have to really do the work and come face to face with this is really freaking hard, but I'm going to keep going.
1: Change is not, you know, change is challenging how you relate to change or change your diet, lifestyle. I mean, you know, it, it can be very confronting. It oftentimes is. And everyone wants a pill
2: or an injection to be the answer. <laughs> the hard work is a lot easier. Just like everyone wants to be a millionaire, but to get to being a millionaire, it takes a long time and a lot of consistency and hard work. Yeah.
1: So it's yeah. like the 1%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's at least my two cents on jeans. Yeah. yeah.
0: You, you get some backlash. Oh, yeah. Where does the backlash come from?
2: It comes from the body positivity movement. It comes from trolls. It comes from... But what I would say is the people who hate on us know that there's some truth in what we're saying. And I always, I always ask myself and I always want to ask them, like... So my grandma died of obesity at 59, right? And so you're you're saying we can't use the word obese anymore because it's not kind or it's not accepting. And you say we should have a fat acceptance movement. And my question to you is, if hundreds and thousands of people are dying every year of obesity, do you really think it's a movement we should condone? Because if hundreds and thousands of people are dying from suicide every year, Mm -hmm. we don't condone suicide acceptance. We don't have a suicide acceptance movement or a suicide liberation movement. And- being fat is a slow suicide. And I think food addiction is also a slow suicide. So I always want to ask those people what they think about that. And usually they don't have much to
1: say. Well, it's true. That was not part of the story that I shared, but on my mother's death certificate was severe obesity. For us, it's about death and life. It's not about how you feel. It's about metrics. And no one can convince me that being obese is healthy. It's not easy to move. It's not good on your joints. There aren't many overweight people that are old because you get degenerative diseases. And so, if health is my top priority and my top value in life, because I, you know, my mother didn't get to see you speak. My mother didn't get to see you walk. My mother, I I mean, I felt like, you know, there was a lot more of life that I wanted to live with my mother Mm -hmm. and I didn't get it. And if I can help people to have the freedom that she could have had or to have longer with their families and loved ones, that's what I want. And so the body positivity movement is part of this excuse that you were just referring to. It's like, I believe that we need to be accepting and have real talk and honest conversations and make lifestyle change towards health. So it's kind of interesting to see how insidious the addiction is. We also don't promote addiction to alcohol or drugs. So why would we promote obesity? It's the same kind of thing. So it's just so interesting. We get a lot of hate, but I feel like we're saying the same thing, (laughs) but we're just asking them to go a step further. Yeah. And actually make the change in their lives because awareness without action is just inertia. Mm-hmm. And I really see the body positivity movement
2: as a bunch of extreme food addicts unwilling to face the truth about their food consumption. Why and why? Yeah,
0: I mean, surely um, that body positivity movement—those people, the 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 rabid haters, the 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 people who will uh, go after you should one would think be in the minority and that rather begs the question when it comes to businesses getting uh wrapped up in the body positivity in the plus or super super size models the the things that you could describe quite easily in a, in a category as non-aspirational advertising um what is it that's making them do that? Do they think that there's a there's a massive market that uh, perhaps doesn't exist who who look at these things and think, yeah, I'm going to look fat in that. I want to buy it because that's not <laughs> that that's not it's not how marketing works. That's not how it ever works. I mean, I I'm not I'm not here. I'm not here in a glass house. If I'm in a glass house, I'm not going to throw stones. I'm fat. And if I look at something, if I'm looking at advertisements, and there's there's a fat guy, that is not aspirational. Okay, I don't, I, and I don't, I don't kind of, um, uh, I don't see myself in that person. But I don't want to see me on a screen. Uh, I want to see a much better version. You know, something, <laughs> something to go, something to go towards. So what what's behind that? Why are they doing
1: it?
2: Okay, what are you gonna
1: tell about Victoria's Secret? Well, um, we read recently that Victoria's Secret lost a lot of money last quarter based on their body positivity, you know, forward, you know, their their advertising campaign.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, I think Budweiser as well. I don't have the stats on that, but uh, there were those are two companies that are seeing that their bottom line has been adversely affected by Being inclusive deciding to be part of this agenda. I mm-hmm. think they call it woke, but I'm not sure if that's what everyone calls it, but anyway, yeah. So that's, that, those are some facts that will, would, would reinforce what you're saying that people actually don't want to see it being a plus size model from the nineties, like one of the OG plus size models. I can state for a fact that we, there was some class back then. um, We didn't hire like models that had big rolls and excessive fat were not hired for lingerie or active wear or bathing suits. Like it just, that was just not acceptable Uh, But now it's in your face everywhere you go. And I am embarrassed to admit that it's disgusting.
2: Yeah. And I've literally been talking about this a lot. I am pro normal size clothes. I really am. And I'm pro longevity, meaning I just want to see more normal size people on the front cover of Vogue, more (laughs) thin women everywhere, because that's motivating for everyone to see thin women that have beautiful bodies. Not
1: like anorexic women, but like just... healthy young beautiful women like i like to look at those things
2: 100 years ago 100 years yeah. ago you didn't see the fat people everywhere on front covers of vogue there was no fat people and it's because of a lot of reasons but i preferred it that way and i still prefer it that way cuz now when you walk into a store it's fat people everywhere and you're like oh my gosh like what's going on
1: it's terrifying <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean that's probably too strong. And of no,
2: it's glorifying gluttony, and that's my problem. It's like, why are we glorifying gluttony? And it goes back to that whole circle of sales, industrial complex.
1: Well, yeah, sales, right? It's mm. it's it's glorifying gluttony uh, helps to uh, you know increase sales, but not if you're Victoria's Secret or Budweiser.
0: That's not the only thing. I mean, if if you look around, you start to see that things are built, things are made that don't have any kind of. Um, any kind of beauty to them, you don't see nice things anymore. And I think that's kind of extended into uh, into people and how we present ourselves. I mean, we look at, I, I suppose if you went to an ordinary college campus these days, you'll have examples of people with tattoos on their faces and bones through their noses and, you know, all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff going on. Um, well, maybe not wonderful, but certainly weird. And it's almost as though there's a generation and I don't want to, you know, give every, uh, tar everybody with the same brush, but almost like a generation of um, Generation Z who do everything they possibly can to look as unattractive as possible. Um, and maybe, maybe eating a lot of food and the wrong foods is a very easy way of doing that.
1: The idea of beauty is an interesting one and you could speak to this much more intimately than I could Penelope for Generation Z.
2: What about beauty specifically?
1: Well like why is everyone wearing like a hoodie and oversized clothes and everyone looks like a hobo?
2: (laughs) Because they're (laughs) embarrassed about their bodies because they either don't feel like they fit in or they feel like they have to fit into a certain stigma and it's all like group think group follow. Like when I was in school, everyone wore hoodies and sweatpants or they wore nothing. It was like two extremes. There was like no in between. And it's for, for me, I feel it's about, insecurity and also the unwillingness to put your health first in order to become beautiful and be a, a beautiful woman because no one like it's not no one's teaching that anymore to be wear dresses and you know do your hair and like just put yourself together when you're going out like that's not really a thing anymore like people just throw on whatever and leave the house and they don't even care what they look like
1: so and part of this is the cause of the breakdown of the family unit yeah. Uh, because parents have been so busy, they haven't had time to raise their kids properly. And this is what we're seeing is the fallout, you know, kids that just don't know how to take care of themselves. They don't know how to cook. They don't know how to present. They don't know how to even write a proper letter,
2: you Yeah, know, or a text. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> it just requires some parenting, yeah. folks got kids out there. Please don't have children unless you're ready to actually raise them. Yeah.
0: yeah. Here's a theory, and I, I've just cooked this up in my head right now. Okay, so bear with me. Uh, but isn't it possible that for some of those Zoomers, some of those Generation Z people, they look at Instagram, they see obviously the the highly, um, uh, highly polished side of um, influencers and what they put out, uh, which are aspirational things, which may be uh, people who look great all the time, at all times, at everything. And maybe to some extent, it's a form of rebellion mm. um, against something that they think they can't achieve to gain weight, to gain bright green hair, to gain a ring through their nose and every possibly thing, possible thing they could do to go
2: almost the other way. Yeah, I mean, that's what I did, right? Like that's I did. the I went to the complete end of the spectrum and totally went all out on the food and getting fat and it was a rebellion for sure. But I always say like, who's letting the rebellion happen? Because if your parents are allowing it, if the schools are allowing it, if your friends are telling you to eat, go eat junk food and that you look great. Because a lot of, especially for women, like my friends would tell me that it was okay to, that I was beautiful for one, when I was really not beautiful, mm-hmm. really obese, really unhealthy. They told me it was okay. And they would give me junk food to eat, you know, so they were enabling it. And I and I always say this, like women, a lot of women want to see women fail so that they don't get their men so that they're not more attractive than the other. It's very manipulative, weird games they play, but there was, it was definitely at play and it definitely worked in their favor. I got Mm -hmm. no men, you know, I was very lonely and sad and depressed and it worked in their favor. You know, I just kept gaining weight. I kept getting uglier and fatter and, you know, wanted to go out less, less and less.
1: Well, there's like a sabotage thing going on um, and this general rebellion around rule breaking and ceiling pushing and so if their value is measured on likes and shares then they've got to be able to push the bar. I mean you see even what Madonna's doing or you see what, you know, you know how people are getting Lizzo. more likes. Yeah, Lizzo, that's what I was thinking. Are you in my head or what? Maybe. <laughs> um, well, it's just it, it's how do you get that attention and if your value is measured on how much attention you're getting, you've got to you know, you got to do something really outrageous to get yeah. those to get those likes and shares and i want to help Liza too when I, I always hope she's watching what we what we talk about so
2: if she ever is watching what we're talking about i want to really help you and partner with you
1: yeah it would be amazing to 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 help her get you know even healthier
0: yeah yeah sure. it's interesting what you say it's it's almost a, as though um there's a lot of competition and by encouraging friends um to have unhealthy lifestyles to do unhealthy things and do uh things that make themselves uglier um if you like um that's a way of reducing the competition
2: yeah i see i even see videos of women who were skinny and then gained weight and they're like i'm happier now and i'm like you don't look happier you look like you're suffering and so is your body and it's like but that's being glamorized and glorified today and that's what yeah. any it's just that cycle it's a very toxic and vicious cycle and i see it every day it's just growing and growing and growing
0: yeah misery likes company as they say
2: yeah yeah it's true
0: um because yeah because that leads on to something that i was going to ask anyway and i think we pretty much answered it there but um when it comes to getting uh getting critics online which you will do um i was thinking where does that criticism come from and it appears that most of the criticism comes from other women. Are you your worst enemies?
1: Absolutely, totally. yeah. I don't want to believe that, but yeah. it's oftentimes that way. yeah, yeah it is yeah and a lot of Not all women, but, but a lot of them
2: and a lot yeah. of women too are most of the ones hating on us as well. And I do think it's because there's all, some truth in what we say, and it can be confronting to hear things that people don't talk about, right? Because people aren't ta- really talking about this; they're all going to groupthink, and they're all saying, "Yeah, gain the weight if you're if you're happy, you're healthy, you're big, you go, girl. You know, you're good, you're beautiful."
1: Yeah, it's like become counterculture to like actually want to cook your own food and
2: yeah. wear nice clothing, and yeah, not, like not me, have tattoos or piercings. A woman and cooking for people, and like. Give c- providing a home and being nurturing is like now seen as weird and like faux pas.
1: Yeah, we're like we're like we're the freaks of nature now.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Woman, woman <laughs> will be like, "Are you okay? Like, why aren't you slaving away at work? Why aren't you? Why are you doing that? That's weird. You cook for your husband? Like, ew. Like,
1: it's just like, hello. What what's wrong? Well, with that? There is there's, there's in our generation there there's some shame around fulfilling that innate desire of the feminine nature to love that. And there's some shame in it now because we are required to work and provide no, and, and all, all required to work.
2: Some are required
1: to work. Right, right. But but that's that's you know my mother's generation was still it was still taboo to work. My grandmother's generation absolutely ta- taboo to work. They were required to stay at home. And this, your generation and my generation are the first that that really uh, since I've known, I mean histor- historically that we're really demanding of ourselves and each other to to wear all the hats yeah that's where it all went wrong but anyway <laughs>
2: well <laughs> yeah.
0: the thing is you can't wear more than one hat at one I mean literally you know if you try and wear two hats it won't work um or the the stack of hats will get so high it'll fall off Yeah. um but moving that away from a the sort of metaphorical You've got a choice between a more traditional uh, way of living and the modern way of living. And then actually, is it a choice anymore? Because these days there is more of an expectation um, that there is only one way to be. And that is to be um, that is to be a worker. I don't say have a career because some people have the benefits of a career. Some people are just workers. And I think the majority of people are just workers. And and now uh, a lot of women have been sold the idea of you can have a career, but actually they're just workers. So they might be working in a the supermarket, they might be working, uh, you know, in an office stamping or tapping away or doing whatever they're doing. Quite mundane work, not necessarily rewarding. And if I was sticking my neck out in terms of real talk, I would say not as rewarding as um raising a family
2: 100 i 100 agree and that's like faux pas to say today and and when we get very angry when you say that they say oh you're anti-woman you've been so damaged you've been so hurt by men in your life and i'm like what, what are you talking about i love my dad you know
1: well that's the real talk <laughs> and the honesty that we ask of each other ourselves and the people in our program in our community because what are your values And how are you living either in alignment with those values or out of alignment with those values? And then how can you bring back that justice and the justice we talk about so much in society and in the body positivity movement, there's this justice that we demand, but yet we're not willing to really look at the justice in our hearts and in ourselves and in ourselves. And that, that's the real talk that, that we demand, uh, and it's it's requ- and I think it, it as soon as we get online with that and and in line with that, we're going to see a lot of changes in society where all of these things that we seem to have gone awry, whether we call them traditional values or not, uh, or the hate or the division or all of the things that are happening, like all that stuff just disappears. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we believe in in that alignment.
0: So you are you believe that there are there are forces for good and that the younger generations will will see that and, and and change the change the trajectory of society, you think?
1: I have hope, yeah. I definitely I hope. have hope. Yeah. Get back in the garden, get back in the kitchen. Just get back to real food, you know, and real talk and, and relationships.
0: You're um relatively speaking, I would say quite brave with your real talk. Um but really question to Penelope, do you think that the younger generation are, are willing to have those conversations. And do you think there is going to be a change like that, or are we being just too optimistic? Are we, are we looking back as, as Gen Xers, are we looking back to, um, uh, previous generations, uh, wartime generations and thinking, yeah, that was great. And everybody knew it was great. So I'm sure we can have that again. um, and and sort of dumping a lot on the younger generation to to, to be able to uh, kind of turn it around?
2: You know, honestly, I believe that if we can have conversations like this all the time, openly and honestly, without having people get crazy mad and angry and very emotional, which is you know, a hard thing to ask of this generation, I think we can have a lot of change. It takes It's going to take a lot of women to come forward and say, i want to be at home i will, i don't like working i don't and we are seeing some women online be like i hate working i hate my job i just want to be at home have a family you are seeing 30 40 year olds moms or women wishing they could be moms saying you know i wish that i ha- would have had kids now it's too late you know i can't find a husband nobody wants me blah 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 so i do think we're come. we're getting closer and closer every day and I, I have hope and I have faith that the more people that speak out about it, the more people that get healthy, the more women that get healthy can actually have the capacity to think, oh, you know what? I don't want to be fat on the couch for the rest of my life. I wouldn't want to be healthy and have a beautiful family. So hmm. I'm hopeful that I can also help those women achieve those goals for themselves.
0: Okay. okay. So um, achieving those goals, helping people to do that, um, but what else is the objective? What what's what's coming? Well, for both of you, really, and for and for step it up. Where where are you going with that? What what's 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 coming next?
1: I mean the the big the big goal. You mean like mm. what's what's where what it's really about? I mean for me, it's about freedom. I was bound to a wheelchair from ages seven to ten. They thought I had leukemia, but I ended up having a rare bone infection. Luckily. And there's nothing that is more important than health. I've said it earlier in this interview, and so for me, there's only one kind of freedom, and that is the health. Health provides you with freedom. It's not money. Um, it's it's health, and from the health, you can have that freedom in your heart, in your mind, in your body, uh, and then everything stems from that. Just I think it's based on you know my experiences, but for me, the big play, the big game, if there is one, it's really freedom. Giving Mm -hmm. people their health back is giving them freedom, possibility that they can do anything and they can really serve and be, you know, who they were meant to be. What would you say, Penelope?
2: I would say I want to save people from their own misery because it is self-inflicted. And it is just another coping mechanism from deep-rooted maybe things that you're upset about, things that you're not expressing, things that you maybe need and aren't finding or, or trying to do. And I really think once you get healthy, you can achieve all the greatness in the world that you want. Because until I was healthy, I didn't have the right mindset. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, nor could I literally physically do anything. And I really care about humans being able to physically do things on this earth, like create babies and be able to go work and build buildings and you know, there's a lot of things that this world needs help with. And if we have a bunch of fat people on the couch. Not losing weight watching tv all day they're really useless and deep down inside i think they know that mm-hmm. and so i want to help those people become working functioning healthy human beings
0: that's great well I, I i hope that at least at least if one person watching or listening to this um you know makes makes a change uh, uh um, in terms of their health um even if that's just me um but um Yeah, then then certainly it's worthwhile. And like you say, having these conversations is the only thing that's going to actually make a make a change. And it's nice to see that so many conversations are going on. So hopefully, hopefully we'll 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 see some change there Um, before you go. And before I ask you about your um, social media and links and such like um, what. What is your favorite meal at the moment? Give us give us a healthy recipe. Off the top of your head, what would be your your go-to?
2: Okay, mine's super easy, and it's you guys are gonna laugh, but I swear it's amazing. It's my mom's coconut milk zucchini lemongrass soup, and it is phenomenal. It's ridiculous, it's so delicious, it's pretty low in calories, not that we calorie count, but it is. And I drink it all day. It's like my favorite snack, it's my favorite meal. It's delicious with pumpkin seeds. Yeah, it's amazing.
1: Mm -hmm. And you make that with, um, do I make it with leeks or onions? I don't remember. Leeks. Okay, so you make it with a leek, both the green and the white part, if the green isn't too rough. Uh, I was on MasterChef. I'm really, really into food. I don't think flavor and health should be separate. They have to go hand in hand uh, to make a lifestyle that's worth living, worth living, because we love food. We could call it weight loss for foodies. (laughs) Um, And then I'd cut up um, ginger, garlic, lemongrass, um, and and then I uh, sauteed those things together. I I may have used a little bit of coconut oil. I also might not have used any oil. Uh, I don't remember. But then we added the zucchini, a lot of zucchini. And then I added um, like a curry stock like or vegetable stock you could add. Uh, and then um, let that get tender. And then you just, um, zoot, zoot, I call it, uh, I use the immersion blender. Nice. And and uh, once it's cooked thoroughly, uh, I use some coconut milk. You could, if you really want to make it richer, you could use coconut cream or even coconut heavy cream.
2: I don't recommend it if you're trying to lose yeah. weight. Don't do that. Yeah. And
1: definitely, <laughs> I also added turmeric. Yeah. But so just in terms of, you know, where you are, but it's a step. So if they're going from clam chowder, The coconut heavy cream is a great next step.
2: Yep. And the step from coconut heavy cream is coconut
1: cream and from coconut
2: cream to coconut milk.
1: To coconut, to light coconut milk. Yeah. Yeah. I've made the soup without coconut milk and it's just not the same. same. Yeah, it's good, but it's just not the same. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My favorite recipe has got to be this uh, delicious arugula salad with persimmons, Asian pears, and pomegranate seeds. Uh, And then I made like a lemon uh, olive oil vinaigrette and it's just, I I just can't even believe it. Oh, and we put some uh, vegan smoked uh, cheddar on it as well. So it's this incredible creaminess and crunchiness and sweetness and the depth of the green and then just the, the smoothness of the persimmons. Like it's just, I mean, for a salad... It was amazing. You could live on it. I mean, it is just spectacular. It's really only this time of year that you can have it. So it's just a special month or so that you could make the salad. And it's very easy to make if you can find those ingredients that are fresh, Mm. of course. Uh, And it's just spectacular. So easy to make.
0: It's amazing to see somebody quite so animated about a salad. Uh, (laughs) Oh! (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that, this is this is the thing this this is the thing it's about finding finding the right foods and uh, and changing people's perceptions of things like that so in i'm terms
1: going of... to send you a cookbook so you have the recipes
0: okay and and for for viewers who who where can they where can they um where can they find you to to find out more
2: so you can find us at uh instagram on at step it ups s-t-e-i-p Right now,
1: it's on our it's on the on the screen as well. Step it ups, S T E P, I I T U P S, and then on on X we have
2: more S's at the end, so just two more S's at the end. And then on YouTube, you can find us at Step It Up Podcast.
1: That's us. Yeah,
0: fantastic. Um. Right. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you both once again for uh, for being on the show. And uh, yeah, have a great uh, have a great salad. <laughs> Thank you. That was a conversation recorded on the 24th of November, 2023, with Helene and with Penelope. My thanks to them both uh, for joining me. And if you've got any comments to make on what was said, please do get into the comments section. If you've got more to say you want to be on the show, please do get in touch. You can DM me at tedjamesmedia. And I will see you all in the next video. Goodbye.